for praying for me last week. I got this privilege to go to Sunflower Missionary Baptist Church, which is one of our sister churches here in uh, Leavenworth. They, uh, they, they worship together at the building off of Fifth Avenue, just uh, north of town here. And it was an honor to be with uh, Bishop Lewis and his congregation. And I'm so grateful that, um, that we, get, we have partners like them in this city effort that we are all in pursuit of advancing Jesus' kingdom and pursuing the mission that God has given us to reach the people who are far from God and make disciples um, and who make disciples. And so it was an honor to be with them. And they send their greetings to you. And it was great to take our, uh, just our greetings to them and, and share that moment with them. And so we had a great time. I had a great time last week uh, worshiping with them and um, singing some music that got my soul just dancing and moving and uh, got to share with them uh, a word. And so today we are finishing our series that we are, have called Counterculture. And in this series, we've been looking at how the teachings of Jesus are counterculture. I mean, that's what the teachings of Jesus are. And the, really, the reason they're counterculture is they're counter our selfishness. When Jesus would say, if you want to follow me, that those who want to follow me, they have to deny themselves right there. It came into conflict with our human selfishness because Jesus would put us into stark contrast with ourselves, that to follow him, we have to deny ourselves. To follow him, we have to take up our cross daily or die to ourselves daily. And this is what it means to follow him. And in this world that conditions us and gives us permission to live for ourselves, Jesus teaches us to die to ourselves. And this is what the teaching big idea, a series big idea is that we've been looking at over the last several weeks, that Jesus and scripture directs Christ followers to live counter to culture, not conform to it. Now, before you write Jesus off because you say, well, that outcome of following Jesus is really not the life that I want to live. Well, I want you to recognize, I want you to understand that the life that Jesus said would be for those who deny themselves and die to himself would really be a life. He would say that if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for him, he said, you'll find life. When we, we'll find life when we really come to the end of ourselves. And the life that Jesus has for those of us who, who, didn't, who, who want to follow him, the life that Jesus has is an abundant life. It's a full life. It's a satisfying life. It's a joy-filled life. It, you'll have a joy that when you follow Jesus, you'll have a joy that he says, it, my joy will be in you and that joy will be complete. It's how Jesus would lead the disciples to follow him. And one of the disciples that came to know who Jesus was and through his resurrection and Jesus encountered him was Paul. And Paul, he would teach the church in Rome, this passage in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, this has been a a passage that we've looked at almost in in every one of these teachings because it teaches us to live counterculture and what the outcome is when we live counterculture. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. See, it's all about your response to how you see God's love and his mercy for you. In, in, in view of God's mercy, he says, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Almost echoing the words of Jesus to deny yourself, die to yourself and follow him. Living sacrifice, be a living sacrifice. This, he says, is true and proper worship. This is what it is. When you live your life, everything in your life, knowing 
that it's all, you live it for him. That's true and proper worship. And then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in this, we've talked about how this renewing of our mind is really what repentance is. Repentance begins with a change of paradigm, a change in how we think. And then he said, then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And we all want to be in God's will. And he says, there's something about God's will. It's good. Maybe you need to underline that or circle that because you need to know that being in God's will is good for you. It's good and it's pleasing and it's his perfect will. See, it's God's good will. And we get there by changing how we think. We repent. We see we are transformed when we repent, when we change how we see God in view of his mercy, when we change how we see God, it'll change what we think about God and it'll change how we think of him. And when we change how we think, we will change how we live. See, when you see as God sees, you will love as God loves. When we see as God sees, we will love as God loves. And this is a reoccurring theme throughout Scripture that God is continually, and He was through Scripture, He's continually revealing Himself to the people through all through Scripture. The people that we read about in Scripture, God is revealing Himself to these people. He's continually revealing Himself to them so they will repent, so they will change how they see God. And when they change how they see who God is, it will change what they think about who God is. And when you change what you think about God and what you believe about him, that you will then put your faith in him. And when you put your faith in him and because you see him differently, it changes how we live. And when it comes to those in poverty, when it comes to the poor, we must learn to see as God sees so we can love as God loves. Now, I remember uh, three primary encounters of poverty that I've had in my life. And, and in this, it's changed how I see. It, 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 God used these as really catalysts in my life. And, and I remember the first one, I was 13 years old and I was privileged to go on a missions trip with our church family that my dad was a pastor of this church in, in Bolivar, Missouri. And we went down to Honduras. And I remember going to Honduras as a 13-year-old child teenager can't believe it I feel like a child now um, but in that 13 year old boy that I was I remember encountering people that were my age having so much less than I had but the people there had so something that man I did not see in America there was a joy there was a happiness and at 13 years old in in in, in just this little life that I've lived I understood that the people in this world who had less had something greater than what we had in America Another encounter I had with poverty was when my wife and I uh, were just married. We had been married a couple years, and we were serving at a church in Lee Summit, Missouri. Um, and in that, that opportunity, as I was a worship pastor there, we were leaving one day from the church uh, building there. My, and a, a, a man and his wife uh, uh, was walking up to the, uh, in our church property. And I talked, we talked to them. And, and you know how sometimes when you, when you talk to people, you you realize that maybe they aren't in need and the story's not the story, but we felt in that moment that God was speaking to our hearts to be generous to the, this, this couple. And so we bought them some clothes. Uh, we, we were able to um, get them some, uh, just some basic groceries. And I remember 
pulling up, and I think we gave them a ride to their house, and as we, we, we pulled up to where they lived, and they directed us to where we, they lived, I was blown away with what I saw. Because I didn't think this existed in that Blue Springs area. I didn't think that existed in this area, the metro area of Kansas City, as I saw a home built by pallets, with pallets, and a, a roof that was no, no more than scrap metal, a dirt floor, no electricity. And she had medical needs, and I could not believe that, that this is the living conditions of someone in our metro area. Now, I wish I could tell you that I knew the story of what turned out um, turned, turned about with, with them, but I don't. But every once in a while, my wife and I will think about them, and we'll think, uh, and we'll pray, God, you see them. And may we see those around us as you see. Third encounter I had was when we moved to South Africa. And when I remember moving to South Africa, encountering the sights of poverty, the smell of poverty, the sounds of poverty. And I remember at times it was overwhelming, overwhelming. In South Africa, it, it, it really is somewhat little comparison to the extreme poverty that we see in India and in, in other parts of Africa where there's extreme poverty. And I remember seeing hundreds of people living in rooms that were no bigger than the size of our average bedroom, of, of most of our bedrooms. And there'd be families living in this. They would share a bed and alternate their sleeping schedule. And this was right in my community as we were living there in South Africa. And I remember going into homes in these locations or these townships, and I remember seeing, meeting kids who were the head of the household at 15 or 13 years old. And they were the head of the household, and they were, they were the ones taking care of their siblings. And whether it was because mom and dad had passed away or mom and dad had abandoned them, it was heartbreaking. It was overwhelming. The poverty that was there. And I remember that, that it, was, it was so in, overwhelming. But you know what was even more overwhelming and baffling? Is in some of these areas, across the street, would be nice communities with gated communities, with great homes, nice cars. And they would go to work every day and drive right by this. And it blew my mind, and it blew my mind how even I could see that, be paralyzed by it for one thing, and feel somewhat help, helpless in another way. You know, and, and as I begin to reflect on this, there's a couple things that I've learned about myself, and, and maybe this is about you. But see, we can isolate ourselves. We can isolate ourselves from seeing those in poverty and insulate ourselves from feeling the pain of poverty. I know I've learned to do this, that, that we can, it's easy to see the pain of poverty overseas. It's easy to see the pain of poverty even there, but what happens is we isolate ourselves from that pain of poverty in our own life. We'll isolate ourselves, and then what we do is we then insulate ourselves with more comforts, we, we, we put things between us and the, the world around us and we'll buy bigger homes and we'll buy f nicer cars. We'll buy more things. And the reality is that the more that we indulge ourselves, the more we isolate and insulate 
ourselves from the pain of those who are truly in need. And the gospel of Jesus changes how you and I see what we have. See, the gospel of Jesus changes how you see you. And the gospel of Jesus changes how you see what you have. See, this scripture leads you and I to see something. Scripture leads me to see that everything I own came from God and belongs to God. That everything I have and everything I own, everything I am and everything I own, it came from God and it all belongs to him. This is a truth that is woven through the fabric of scripture. That everything you are and everything you have, it came from God and it belongs to God. In Psalm verse 20, chapter 24, verse 1, the, the psalmist writes, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything including you, everything including the things you have, everything in it, the world and all who live in it. This would be echoed in the New Testament writings. Paul would tell the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that you were, you were not your own. You were bought with a price. That be the, this is the gospel of Jesus, that you are not your own, that you were bought with a price. Everything you are and everything you have comes from God. And because of Jesus, everything you need, you already have in him. See, everything we are and everything we have, it comes from him. And, and I say this knowing that this is a sin in my own life, that it is a sin. It is a sin in my life to think that I've earned this. It's a sin in my life to think that this is mine, it belongs to me, and therefore I can do whatever I want with it. Because that's a wrong belief. And wrong belief is a sin. And when I recognize that, that, that this is what, who I am and all I am and all I have comes from God, then I begin to see differently and it leads me to live differently. And see, part of my problem, maybe it's part of your problem, is I like to pursue comfort. I mean, I like to be comfortable. Our whole American life is built toward comfort. Everything, all the advertising is built toward comfort. And comfort is what we go to when we try to isolate and insulate ourselves from seeing the need. See, when we become overcomfortable, we can become underexposed to the needs of those in poverty. See, the more we insulate ourselves, the less we see the needs of those in poverty. The more discontent, the more content we are, and, and the more we, we are content with what we, 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 we're discontent with what we have, the more we are, the, the less we are able to see, I'm sorry, the less we are able to see the needs of those around us, that the, the more discontent I am, the less I see the need of those around us. So what does it mean to be in poverty? Well, poverty is living without the means to meet your basic needs. This is what poverty is. It's, it's living without the means to meet one's basic needs. Needs. And according to the worldrelief.org, in the world, over 735 million people live in extreme poverty. And they would define this extreme poverty as living on less than the equivalent of $1.90 per day. 
If you learn about the, this, the, the disparity of poverty in the world, it, that 70% of the world, 70% of the world live on a, an equivalent of less than $10 a day. When we were in South Africa, $10 a day was the average daily wage of those in, in South Africa. That most of the people there, the predominantly most of the people there lived on $10 a day or 100 rand per day was the equivalent at that time. In America, poverty... And just the level of poverty, not extreme poverty, but poverty in America is considered $32,000 a year per household. And in Leavenworth County, according to the last census, over 6,700 people live in poverty on less than $32,000 a year in their household. It's here. There are people here in that poverty. And, and we got to recognize something here. We are blessed in America. We, we are blessed in America that even the pop, that those that are poor in America have access and we are so privileged to live in a nation that has the amenities, the structure and the support that we have for those who are in need. And we're blessed and we do not understand the privilege. And I say this because I did not understand the privilege that I had as an American until I lived in another country. And those in poverty in America have more access to what 70% of the world do not even have access to. But does this mean that we just tell those that are poor around us and say, well, you're better off than those that are living in Congo right now? No, we don't do that. We don't turn our, 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 our eyes away from the needs of those around us. It doesn't mean we turn our head and ignore the pain or, or turn away from the need of those in poverty that are close to us. See, poverty is different according to um, demographic. It's, it's different according to geography. And it's different according to the needs of the person. And we must understand something. See, the gospel of Jesus changes how we see. And when we change how we see, the gospel of Jesus changes how we respond to those in poverty. We must see as God sees so we can respond as God responds. And this is the essence of following Jesus, to see as God sees, to see the way that, that Jesus came to show us the fullness of God, show us the mission of God, to put us on mission together with him, that this is the essence of following Jesus. And this is what the disciples would lead, lead the people to do, that they would teach them to see as God sees so they could live as God lived and do the things that Jesus commanded them to do. And then a follow-up letter to the church in Corinth, Paul would direct the Corinthians. And he would say, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, this is your God, <laughs> this is Jesus, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. See, this is all of us. Every one of us who put our trust in Jesus as our Savior and have put our faith in Him as a Savior and we've committed in, to follow Him. We've confessed Him as Lord and we're following Him as Lord. He, we recognize that we are rich spiritually. We are rich spiritually. Jesus emptied Himself of all He had so He could give us what we could never have, life with Him. And this is the gospel because of what Jesus has done for us and what he has given us. We recognize that every one of us who have put our trust in Jesus and confessed him as our Lord and follow him, we 
are rich, that everything we need, we already have in Jesus. Now you may say, Casey, that's great, that sounds great, but really I'm not rich. Now, I look at my life, I look at what I have, and I'm really not that rich. Now, I want to talk to those of us who d- d- would say, hey, I am not that rich. And in fact, if we did a raise of hands, I would say, me included, we will not rich. But the reality is, is we don't feel rich. That's really what it is. We don't feel rich. There's a difference than feeling rich than actually being rich. See, if we own more than one pair of shoe, then we are in the top 20% of the world's wealthy people. If you, if you ha- live in a home with electricity, that ha- you have access to re- electricity, then you live in the top 15% of the world's wealthy people. If you drive a car to work, you're even a higher percentage of the world's wealthy people. See, the problem is not that we're not rich. The problem is we don't feel rich. And we do a lot based on what we feel. We don't feel wi- rich because honestly, if you're like me, we compare ourselves to other people who have more. And we're bombarded with things and people who have more. We don't feel rich because we're in America. And, and in America, we, we are rich financially. And, and, and we see the wealth of everything around us. But the problem is, we don't see that we're also rich spiritually. See, we got this bonus, double bonus in America. We are rich spiritually because of our faith in Christ. And we are rich financially. And, and, and when we see ourselves in light of the gospel, we recognize that everything we are and everything we have, it came from God and belongs to him. And everything we need, we already have in Jesus. And when Paul would write to his protege, Timothy, Paul would say something that I think is for us in America. Now, he was talking to Timothy about rich people in his day and age, but I think if he were writing this to America, maybe to this as as a church in Leavenworth, he would say this directly to us. He would say, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We need to circle that word contentment because that's really what my feeling of rich comes down to is I don't feel rich because I'm discontent. And in this godliness with contentment, he says great gain. There's a great gain in contentment and godliness for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And here Paul gives us confidence that we can be content with the basics, that we, if, we can, if we have our basic provisions, our, our, our food, and we have our basic protections, our clothing, we can be content with them. And then he goes on to say this, those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, as I read this, I want you to understand something. I don't want you to feel guilty for having wealth. I mean, every one of us, at some perspective, we have a a great deal of wealth compared to what the world has. I don't want you to feel guilty about this. I want you to put this in perspective. And I want you to see as Paul sees that, that hey, part of, the, this is part of our problem is really a desire for more. And in that desire for more, it's we are discontent with what we already have. And really, this is my problem. And maybe this is part of your problem. See, we fall into this temptation. We fall, fall into the temptation to want to get rich and our desire to want more traps us. It entangles us. It traps us into ruin. 
We, and, and, and debt ruins our opportunities because we want more. We're discontent with what we have. And our greed destroys not just our kind of relationships, but you know what greed does in my own heart and maybe in yours? Greed that I want more for me, it really destroys my compassion for others because all I see is me and all I want is what for me. And it even leads us to what Paul would say, to believe, to walk away from a faith to believe that you don't even need God anymore. But we are so dependent upon him. And I remember being in these countries where they had so much more than I had because they had a faith in a God who would provide. A daily faith. They were so more rich in their faith than I was. And Paul would say this in verse 17 to Timothy. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth. Maybe that's what we need to do. We need to not be arrogant and think that we can take care of and what we have is ours and we can earn and it came from us. No, no, no. And we also need to not put our hope in wealth. But to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is a passage for those of us who are rich. See, we need to have our hope not in riches, but we need to put our faith and our hope in God who richly provides. And I've learned that those who are in poverty... They have something to offer those of us who have our daily needs met. They are so rich in their faith. They are so rich in their faith and they can teach some. Every one of these encounters that I've built relationships with people in poverty, they have taught me to trust God because he is the one who richly provides. It's a lesson that we all need to learn and it's a lesson that teaches me and leads me to be content with what I've had. I've learned that those who are poor, I've also learned that those who are poor are more generous than us who are rich. That when those who are poor, they're more eager to share because they have this absolute trust that God is going to meet their daily need. And I've seen them give extravagantly, thinking that, what are you doing? But they have this bigger faith than I ever had, that they will, they will give, it, and, it, and it feeds my faith. In his book, Today We Are Rich, Tim Sanders beautifully shares a truth that rich is not what you have, rich is in what we can give. This is what makes people rich, and it's not in what we acquire, it's in what we are able to generously share. We may not feel rich, but we can be rich when we are generous. And I want you and I, I want our church, I want the people of God, the people that follow Christ to experience the joy of generosity. And the joy of generosity comes from a place of recognizing and seeing as God sees, seeing God who he is, a God who richly provides. And seeing that everything we are and seeing ourselves that everything we are and everything we have, we didn't earn it, it didn't come from us. Every ability you have, it came from God and everything you have, it came from God. And we are stewards and we're going to be content with what we have. And we're going to be generous to those in need. See, God's people live generously with those in need. And so, 
Here's the teaching big idea that I want you to see, that we will be content with what we have and with our extra, we will be generous to those in need. Generosity begins with contentment here. Seeing what I have and seeing everything I own as coming from God and it's what, if my basic needs are made, I'll be content with what I have. And then we must see those in need as God sees them. And when we see those in need, it'll lead us to live generously. See, we will be generous to believers in need by practicing hospitality and sharing what we have. Paul would give this direction to the church in Rome. He would tell the church in Rome in Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Right after he's shared, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He would tell them this, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. See, practicing hospitality is something we need to do more of. It's, it's sharing our home with those who are in need. It's inviting them into our home. It's sharing. I, I, I've seen people here practice hospitality, letting people live with them for a certain amount of time to help them get back on their feet. Letting people have, they had an extra car, they let somebody sh- use that car. See, this is a way that we can practice hospitality with the, those in the church family. We need to see, meet the needs of those in our church family who are in need. James, the, the brother of Jesus, would say that if a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food, if one someone says to him, hey, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? What good is that? See, he would go on to say, faith without works is dead. Our faith is exercised by meeting the physical needs of the believers, of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And generosity is the overflow, recognizing that all we have and everything we are, it comes from God and belongs to him. And when we are content with what we have, we will be more generous with the extra we have. This is love. John would write this in 1 John. and He would say, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity or compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, not, 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 let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth, truth, because now you know that everything you have and everything you are belong to him. Truth that helps you see as God sees so you can now love as God loves. See, when we live for comfort, we will love with speech only. But when we live from a place of contentment, we will love with our words and actions that are coming from a place of who we are in truth. Also, we're generous to poor believers in need and poor unbelievers in need by doing what is good for them. God is good. And the people who follow God, that the Holy Spirit is making us more godly, we are becoming good. And the things that we do are good to accomplish his good, perfect, and pleasing Will And as Christ followers, we live to do what is good, to accomplish that good, pleasing, and perfect will. But most of the time, maybe this is just me, I like to do what's more good for me. And when I give generously, it's so that I give generously in a way that makes me feel good or makes me look good. 
And it's not really what's in the best interest of that person. Jesus would say in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. And here's how we let our light shine, that they may see your good deeds and not glorify you, not glorify a church name, but glorify your Father in heaven. See, we do good to glorify God. We do good for his eternal purpose. And we do good not that it's good for us and makes us feel good or look good. We do what is good for them. Now, sometimes what's good for them may mean not giving them something to enable something. But what always is good for them is doing something good for them to build a relationship with them so you can share the good news of Jesus. Because Jesus came for the poor. He didn't come to show, to make himself look better than them. And he doesn't lead the church to, 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 to look down on those who are poor. No, no, no. He wants us to see as he sees, to see the dignity in the poor. He wants to lead us to do good for them, to raise their dignity and elevate who they are. And so they can experience the gospel of Jesus through how we live towards them. and They can receive the gospel of Jesus. See, we are generous to poor unbelievers so they can know the good news of Jesus. So they can know the good news of Jesus. This was Jesus' mission. His mission statement, one of two places I think Jesus says his mission statement. Well, another place is in John when, when he says, I have come that they may have life to the full. And this is the other time. He opens up his ministry, opening up to the scroll of Isaiah that was handed to him. He goes to this place in Luke chapter four. We read about this and he reads this from the scroll of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor to proclaim good news to the poor. See, the poor we are, have all around us and there's poor uh, around the world. And when we recognize that the mission of God was to bring the good news to the poor, he, he would also go on and he was sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We do the same. We do the same. James would, would tell, the, he would warn the, the, the church in Jerusalem. He'd say, but don't dishonor the poor. Don't dishonor the poor. See, we need to honor the poor among us. And the way that we honor the poor is the gospel that we need is the same gospel they need. This is why we do good. This is why we meet their needs. For unbelievers, we want to do good so they can respond to the thing that they need the most, the life-changing gospel of Jesus. And we can do good and we can, we can give to those in need, but if we don't have the desire that they hear the gospel of Jesus, then all we are are philanthropists. But Jesus didn't call us to philanthropy. Jesus called us to be disciples who are content with what we have and with our extra 
we're generous to those. That we are not gonna put our trust in riches, but we're gonna put our trust in he who richly provides. And we're not gonna be generous to feel good. And we're not gonna be generous to look good, but we're going to be generous for one purpose only, that we glorify our God, our Father in heaven. And we're gonna glorify God and let this be an expression of our love for him. And we're gonna glorify him by becoming like Jesus and by sharing Jesus. This is how we're going to join Jesus in the work that he's doing. And we're gonna see the poor around us. And we're not going to elevate ourselves as better than ourselves. We're gonna honor them. We're gonna meet their needs, raise their dignity, and see the good news of Jesus do what Jesus came to do, to restore all people back into a relationship with him and to restore all people. Not that we all experience the same type of life here, but we will all experience life eternally through the richness and the generosity of our God who loves us. This is how we respond. That is counterculture. And we will respond by following Jesus and doing the same. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, we recognize that we are rich. We live in America. It's undeniable that we have extra. Thank you for providing for our needs. And God, let this not be something that makes us unnecessarily feel guilty, but God, may this be something that just moves us to to live more content with what you've given us. And God, may we see, may, may we repent of the attitude that thinking that everything we have and everything are, it belongs to us. But God, we recognize it belongs to you. And we repent because we want to steward everything that we have and we are to fulfill your mission. So I pray that you lead us, you guide us, And God, may generosity be the outflow of what it means to follow you. Because you are generous, God, we will live generously. And we will see the poor as you see the poor. In Jesus' name, amen. Our prayer partners are gonna be available. They'd love to pray for anyone for any reason today. God bless you. And we'll see you next Sunday. Hey, Westside, thanks for sticking with us for our last week of counterculture. We hope that you.